0: Liberating God, we thank you for the steadfast courage of your servant, Polly Murray, who fought long and well. Unshackle us from bonds of prejudice and fear so that we show forth your reconciling love and true freedom, which you revealed through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. In the Episcopal Church, we celebrate the feast of Polly Murray on July 1st. We are allowed to celebrate today as it is close to July 4th weekend. And after this week's events, it is fitting for us to recognize them and their contributions to this church and to this world. It's necessary for us to see how our past is directly connected to our present. Polly Murray, a poet, activist, attorney, and professor, who helped desegregate Washington, D.C. in the 1940s, was close friends with Eleanor Roosevelt and influenced the legal strategies of Thurgood Marshall and Ruth Bader Ginsburg as they prepared landmark Supreme Court cases. She was also co-founder of the National Organization for Women, was also the first black woman ordained as an Episcopal priest. For that and many other reasons, we celebrate her today. Polly's name was on the very first brief Ruth Bader Ginsburg wrote before the U.S. Supreme Court arguing for gender equality, and whose documentary, My Name is Polly Murray, was also a result of the producers just finding that connection when they were editing the RGBG documentary. Polly was always on a journey, similar to Jesus in our gospel today. Traveling from place to place, Jesus headed toward Jerusalem. This section tells us about Jesus' ministry in Samaria and Judea. Our journeys are not easy ones. We know where this journey to Jerusalem with his followers led Jesus. And in our gospel, Jesus sends his messengers or his disciples ahead of him where the Samaritans did not receive him. We know that there were tensions between the Samaritans and the Jews. When James and John saw that Jesus was not received, they asked Jesus, Lord, do you want us to commend fire, to come down from heaven and consume them? It sounds like these two disciples were upset and ready to punish the Samaritans for their rejection of Jesus, ready to attack. Perhaps some of us have felt this way recently. When Than and I decided to have a baby, we did not anticipate how lonely and uncertain the journey would be. Yes, we are blessed with a loving, supportive family, but the youngest baby on my side of the family is 8 years old and on Than's side is 28. So we haven't had a, we hadn't had a baby around for a while. I have shared with you some of those scary unknowns and road bumps that we encountered on this journey. I didn't tell you, or maybe I did, about the extra hospital stay because I had lost so much blood and the possible need for a transfusion. Nobody talks about those things. Nobody tells you that everything could go wrong during labor and the miracle that a baby is when they're brought into this world. We were devastated when we heard the news this week of the overturning of Roe versus Wade. How did we get here? After all of the sacrifices from those who came before us, such as Polly Murray, to say we were mad is an understatement. We are still mad. And we will remain mad. But we will also take this time to pray and educate ourselves about what this will mean for our daughter, Sophia. Journeys connect us, all of us here, and they say a lot about our past. They reveal the good and the not so good. We are always on a journey. Polly Murray, a risk taker at 17 years old, was called a child of destiny by the right Reverend Henry Beard Delaney, the first African-American to be elected bishop in the Episcopal Church. He was elected suffragan bishop for colored work and consecrated in 1918. Now this is important because these facts also reveal our troubled past in this church. In the years following the Civil War, the Episcopal Church was reluctant to confer the dignity of the Episcopal office on black men because such an act would place them in positions of authority over white Episcopalians. Clearly, an unacceptable situation to the white establishment. So, at the 1874 General Convention, a proposal was put forward by none other than the Diocese of Texas, requesting the Convention to appoint a suffragan bishop for the supervision of the freedmen. This incidentally was an attempt to implement a recommendation made by the Freedmen's Commission a year earlier. It was felt that such a plan would be ideal and that it would accede to the demand on the part of blacks for Episcopal leadership, but would create a class of bishops who were bereft of authority since they served at the pleasure of their diocesan bishops, but moreover, whose Episcopal ministry would be limited to people of their race. Edward Rodman observes that suffragan bishop's office grew out of the controversy of how to deal with colored work. Some believe that black suffragans under the authority of white diocesan bishops would be a more effective missionary strategy for managing the growing number of small and primarily rural congregations that were developing in the South after the end of slavery. Now we could go on and into the 1950s about how this also created and developed Latino ministries, Asia-American ministries, and Native American ministries. We all have parts of our journeys that are not as good as we want them to be. But we are also required to sit with those parts. To grapple with our emotions and the outcomes of these decisions that we make. But we have to hope that we can do better we can do better. We have to trust that God is working and we have to also get to work ourselves and see what we can do when we trust and love each other. We wouldn't be celebrating an 11-year member now a deacon in your church today if we didn't believe that. You wouldn't have all of these women up here if you didn't believe that you wouldn't have the first female rector at Trinity if you didn't believe that. And this church would not have sponsored at least six priests under their current rector if you did not believe and support this work. Because let me remind you that it was only in 1976 that the General Convention approved the ordination of women to the priesthood in the Episcopal Church. So Trinity family, it takes some painful truths to move forward. This week we took a step backward, but I am hopeful that this generation of young people and the wisdom of all of us together will make sure to make some immediate changes. And yes, it is painful. And yes, we will sit with that. And we will all take this time to move forward with confidence and grace. I am hopeful that each of you, whether you are happy or heartbroken this day, seek the justice and dignity of all in all that you say and that you do every day. That you remain respectful of one another when doing so. That we, like Jesus, walk and choose to continue even when we are not welcomed. To continue loving and caring deeply for each other. I know that I will continue to love and serve this community and this church with a renewed understanding of radical love. Let us end with St. Francis' peace prayer this morning. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy.